I can't think of a better way to, to spend the, the day. You can go ahead and have a seat. I can't think of a better way to spend uh, the Christmas season than to gather with the, the saints of God and to rehearse the truths of God and to encourage one another. And I want you to know that it is an encouragement for me. I hope that it is for you as well, that as we gather, that as we sing truths that we've, that we've mined out of the Word of God, and as I hear our people, the saints of God, recounting those truths in my ears in unison, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it stirs a fire in my heart. And I hope that it does for you as well this morning. We're going to be in the book of First Peter. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, additionally, it'll be on the screen, but we'll read First uh, Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. We'll be there for a little bit, and uh, we'll kind of uh, use that as a launching point. We'll make a tour. Uh, after we, we, we grab a few words out here, we'll make a tour of the Scriptures, and then we'll land again and make some more applications back in this text. And so let me, let me read it aloud. The Bible says in verse number 1, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility one to another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pray that God would bless the reading of his word this morning. As we look at it, we walk away, and we walk, walk away from the text just for a minute and walk through um, the, 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 the overarching narrative of Scripture. I want to point out a few things to you. And the main thing that I want you to see, that I want us to end on, is this, that Jesus, the chief shepherd, is coming again. That Jesus, the chief shepherd, is coming again. And there's action and application that we can draw from that statement there. But really, I want to answer three questions. Because Jesus, the chief shepherd, is coming again. I realize that that's a bit of a weird thing to say if you don't have the context. If you don't know... What is, it, what is a chief shepherd? Maybe you have a, some semblance of an idea of what a shepherd is, but this morning I want to help uh, us to understand what a shepherd actually is. And so we'll answer this question, what is a shepherd? We'll spend some time in, in that area. We'll, uh, again, we'll, we'll look at some uh, extra biblical uh, information as to what a shepherd is, and then we'll jump back into some text that will help us to understand again what a shepherd is from a biblical perspective. Then we'll answer the second question, who is our shepherd as the people of God? Tim, uh, or Brett read just a moment ago a passage in Isaiah chapter 53 where God refers to his people as sheep. And so if we are sheep, we have to have a shepherd. We'll answer this question, who is our shepherd? We won't just answer that flippantly, but we'll walk through the, the text of Scripture, even through prophecies, that would point us to the identity and the nature and the action of our shepherd. And finally, we'll answer this question, where is our shepherd now? Where is our shepherd now? And so first, let's begin with answering this question, what is a shepherd? I want to say this, the context for, for this passage is the persecution of the church. So, uh, I'm sorry, Peter is writing to the churches that are dispersed in an area right in and around Turkey, in modern day Turkey right now. And he's encouraging them because they're in a, in a time of persecution and in a time of poverty. 
He wants to encourage them, so he, he writes this letter to them. It's a little bit of the context, and the key word for this passage that we read this morning is shepherd. The key word is shepherd. The key phrase that I want us to, to really hone in on is there in verse 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears. When the chief shepherd appears. When Peter wrote that, it was meant to evoke a heartwarming image a rural hillside covered with playful lambs all being cared for by their master, returning to them. When I say shepherd this morning, when I read this this morning, when you look at it, you may not get the same exact response as what Peter thought that his recipients would respond. And I think it's because we don't understand the nature of a shepherd. It's not part of our culture today. Millions and millions and millions of sheep around the world. In the U.S. and our culture, we have so very little of it represented here in our country, and so it's not much of, uh, of the talk. If we lived in New Zealand or somewhere in the Middle East, we, uh, or maybe even in, the, in Wales, we might have a different understanding of what it is to be a shepherd and what would be included when, when Peter would say, when the chief shepherd appears. Might bring more to to mind and to heart, but one man that that's been really helpful for me is Godfrey Bowen. He's helped me to understand. And I want to share a, actually a good bit of what he had to say about it. Um, he has quite a bit of knowledge about sheep, and and he couples that knowledge with a study of, of Psalm chapter twenty three, and he gives us a better understanding of what it would be like to be a shepherd and to watch and witness a shepherd interacting with the sheep. Uh, Godfrey, Godfrey Bowen, he was a world champion sheep shearer and, and, and as well as a breeder, and he wrote a, wrote a book called Why the Shepherd? Why the Shepherd? And I want to just read a, an excerpt of his book. So if you can, if you, I want you just to push everything out of your mind this morning and try to imagine what he's describing. So if it helps you to close your eyes, I encourage you to do that. But if not, uh, just, just follow along and try to imagine what's taking place. With a spring in his step and an eye to the sky at sunrise, he makes straight for the sheepfold. As soon as he rattles the gate and gives the morning call, greets the sheep often by, the na- by their name, every sheep is on its feet. They spring for- uh, forward toward the gate with an expectancy written on their faces and in their eyes. Another great day on the range with their loving shepherd leading the way to fresh grass and cool water. How they eagerly bound through the gate, one after another. The younger lambs and yearlings with a skip and a bound of sheer joy, pleasure and playfulness. The older sheep in a more sedated and dignified manner, as if reserving their energy for the demands of the long day that would be ahead. The sun peeps over the hilltop horizon to make jewels of the dew on the bushes and the ground and the grass. The air is clear and brisk and bright, and the wind has not yet arrived, and there's a sense of peace all around. As the flock strings out, all is joy, abounding life, and togetherness. The sheep follow after as the shepherd leads them along a different course in a new direction to feed on fresh range that hasn't been grazed for a while. The leaders are at first unsettled and and seem to want to return to the old paths as well as as the well-worn ways, but they reluctantly follow the lead of their shepherd as he directs them to fresh, clean pastures and sweet new grazing. As they enter this new range, all is action. The flock comes alive. Each of the sheep tries to step out the others in a search for the first morsel of sweet wildflower, a ripe seed head or a rich clover bottom or a ground-hugging plant. Each tender morsel is nipped off 
on a move, a, a bite at every stride. And what a joy to observe a flock of hungry sheep graze the fresh, sweet pasture. But it doesn't last long. The first pangs of hunger are soon satisfied, and the mob aligns itself behind the active leaders. The lambs are ready for their morning treat, mother's milk. And this wonderful mother gives all to her twin lambs as they grow bigger and fatter while she becomes thinner until they almost lift her off the ground as they bunt and bump to bring down the sweet milk. No wonder she often lags a bit and appears ever exhausted, having to meet the insatiable demands of these ravenous young ones that never seem to get enough. And the leaders are either alone or have only one lamb to tend to. Often they are barren ewes or rams with nothing to hold them back. They're often more selfish than the other sheep who are making sacrifices, and they hurry on and they run ahead, push and jockey for position, demanding the first and best morsel for themselves. It's that way with the older ones. And a shepherd, he's well aware of their behavior. He knows it all too well. Many times he will deliberately let them charge ahead and up a barren rock plateau until he turns the tail of the mob and the stragglers into a path leading to the sweet side valley and into the rich pasture. Gradually, he goes back to the greedy sheep and the leaders who are stringing out the flock and taking them in the wrong direction. The shepherd takes his time to turn them all around and bring them back to join the others, being sure that they have had ample time to nourish themselves on the first fruits. As the day grows hotter and the sun climbs to its zenith in the clear, bright sky, the sheep start to search for shade. The shade of any tree or bush or overhanging rock. And each sheep is showing signs of thirst with the drooping ear and the licking of the lips. And the shepherd knows the range. He's, he's walked the sheep paths long before any of his flock have ever been born. And he knows where the sheep pastures are. And he knows where the fresh springs of water are. And he knows the way is not always easy. Sometimes the sheep must be forced and even persuaded to move down a steep rocky path. It's often difficult going. And they would rather climb than descend. It's their natural inclination. And the rocky path is narrow, and the rocky path is perilous, and the rocky path hurts the tender feet, and it's unnecessary crowding, and there's dust, and there's heat. And finally, though, they come to the plateau in the lower ground, and at last, around the bottom bluff, the gentle spring gurgles, making a little pond of crystal clear water. The leaders call to the others, signaling the discovery of the waters, and within a few minutes, all is contentment. Thirst is replaced with refreshment. What a sight. Each sheep takes its turn. Each sheep sips rather than gulps. There's no charging in, no shoving, no forcing. They wait politely one for the other. They often take time to wet their silky muzzles, swish and toss their heads, drinking slowly with no haste and great contentment. And then it's sleep time. The sheep in the cool shade of boulders and bushes and and trees and the shepherd in the shade of a high point where he can survey all the flock as they settle down for a two to three hour nap. And at last, all the lambs are quieted. A time for rest, a time for a meditation. No chewing the cud, no noise, no predators, no peril, no danger. At last, near the soil, the grass, the water, the best part of the day, what a a sanctuary for sheep and shepherd under his watchful eye. It's a mid-afternoon now. And the first move is of the shepherd. The shadows are beginning to grow longer. The heat of the day is past. And it's time to retrace back to home and to the sheepfold. The, the flock is slow to stir from its uh, sleep. 
And the sheep would remain where they were all day into the twilight if the shepherd would let them. But it's time to depart and begin the journey homeward. The leaders of the flock are, are started back first along the paths that lead homeward and up the steep path, and the rest follow slowly. And on regaining the tops of the afternoon, uh, there the wind begins to stir. And the stir becomes a strong wind, and the gale then comes directly in the face of the flock, and the dust is flying, and the hot air whistles straight into their faces, and how the flock dislike wind in their face. Always on the rage, they immediately turn their backs to the wind, but now they must take the wind head on. Why? Why doesn't the shepherd let us go before it? Turn, turn our back to it and lead us another way. The answer is, although it is difficult, although it is hard, it is the way home to the sheepfold. And if they linger and if they dawdle, they are not going to be there by sunset. The flock will become scattered. The sheep will lose their way. They'll become prey for predators, thieves, and robbers who prefer the darkness of the night will take them. It's not an easy end to the day. Many problems have been faced, many dangers anticipated, many needs met, and the shepherd has to be vigilant all day long. When the, day, or when, when the way is hard, the flock may often become quite unsettled. Even when it's on its way home, the shepherd observes a, a poor old ewe limping along at the tail of the mob, and he goes to her, and he finds a small, hard stick in her hoof. And he takes the ewe in his arms, and he holds her gently, reassuringly, and carefully he removes the offending hurt, and he rubs in some soothing salve, and lifts her to her feet, and he moves her into the homeward path. And the account of the flock next, it reveals that one sheep is missing, and he looks far and wide and then retraces the path of the sheep, looking for the lost one. He searches high and low, and there in the thicket of a thorn bush, caught and unable to escape, is the lost sheep. And gently he works the sheep loose, carries it over, to, over his shoulder the half mile to rejoin the procession home. And when he catches up with the flock and returns the lost sheep, the shepherd spots two big rams fighting it out for leadership and dominance within the flock. Hurriedly, the shepherd parts them, and he teaches them who's really the boss. It's the shepherd. And while the shepherd was gone, a ewe had become cast in a hole and her lamb separated off on the other side of the mob and both are in great distress and the shepherd goes into action he lifts the ewe back to her feet reassuring her walking her through the mob while she calls for her little lamb and finally they're soon reunited the sun is setting amidst the colorful clouds in the western sky and it's red sky at night shepherds delight there's promise of a wonderful day tomorrow the last mile the easy mile is it's a well-worn path back to the sheepfold it's been traveled many times, and on many days, the sheep sense familiar territory, their, their home field, their home fold. The shepherd precedes them. He stands at the sheepfold with the gate wide open, and he calls them in. Come unto me, and you shall find rest. And the mob, with little prompting, streams through the portal to rest, to protection, to contentment, to safety. And here in the sheepfold, no more dangers, no more perils, no more rocky paths, no more predators, no blazing sun, no dry grass, no dust, no wind, no thorns, no crying, no pain. Rather, there is a sweet straw, pure water, high walls about the sanctuary, protection against all dangers, sweet peace, sweet rest, sweet fellowship, until the shepherd comes to awaken them again in the bright new morning. The shepherd knows his flock. All are in. He shuts the door, and only he has the power to open it again. Would you pray with me? God, as we read this excerpt of a book, 
gives us a window into the way that you view us, and even to what is reality. It gives us background to understanding what it is that you are saying to us when you call us sheep and you refer to yourself as shepherd. So what joy we have this morning as we humbly admit that we are but the sheep of your pasture and we submit ourselves humbly to you as our shepherd. And we pray that you would do the work of a shepherd this morning, even now as we open your word, that you would lead us. Jesus, that you would feed us from your word and that you would protect us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So of all the animals that God has made, it seems to me as though the sheep has received the worst reputation. And it may not be uh, fitting, actually. It's not cut and dry. We, we, we say sheep are dumb, and in a sense they are because they don't speak, right? But aside from that, they're actually intelligent animals. Sheep are actually rather intelligent. One study demonstrated that an adult sheep has the ability to remember 50 different human faces for a period of several years and can associate different types of food with different faces, with different human beings. And what's more, they can also read human facial expressions and prefer a smile over a grimace or over a frown. And you say, well, I'm not super impressed. I still think they're rather uh, ignorant creatures. And while that may be true, I hope that a little bit of their bad rapport or reputation has been redeemed. Oftentimes we can't even remember 50 faces or somebody we met yesterday, and yet a sheep can. And so that's impressive, right? Sheep have been given a a, a bad report, and, and possibly some of it's deserved as well. You see, without a shepherd, they'll starve. They can't lead themselves to a new pasture. They'll literally eat themselves into the dirt and wander without any direction. Without a shepherd, they'll starve. Without a shepherd, they'll die of thirst. They can't even smell water. It's a simple, uh, simple ability that so many other creatures have, but they were not blessed with the ability to, to smell or sense or even seek out water. And so they'll die of thirst. They can't defend themselves against the, the simplest of predators, which is the fly. We won't get on, into all the details of how a fly can, uh, can harm a, a sheep, but it's, it's a fact. And so they're such a a tender and sensitive animal that they need constant care. They need constant leading, constant feeding, and constant protection. While it's been said of sheep that they can't defend themselves, that's not entirely true. They are not able to withstand the attacks of the predators. They need the presence of a shepherd. So the story that we looked at This picture that was painted with words, it helps us to see into what God is saying about us when he describes us and even his nature as he declares himself to be our shepherd. One of the things that I think is uh, most interesting about and misunderstood about the sheep is we we think of them often as, as, as ignorant creatures, but really I think what we are looking at and observing is their loyalty and trust. The fact that they will loyally stick to their friends within, they're able to make friends within the herd, and be loyal to them to the end and to their family and to their mother. Additionally, their loyalty and trust of the shepherd is often exchanged and observed as ignorance. It's something that actually should be celebrated. You see, sheep look to their shepherd for leadership, for nourishment, and for protection. That's what the shepherds do. And that's what the sheep are to do. They're to be led, they're to be fed, and they're to be protected. So as we think about this idea of what a shepherd is, we answer this, ask this question, what is a shepherd? We see a picture of it painted for us. Shepherds lead the sheep. Shepherds feed the sheep. 
Shepherds offer protection for the sheep. And I want to say something to you. We've already alluded to this, but you this morning may already sense it. You need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. On our strongest days, on our boldest days, when we feel like we can face off against anything that would come our way, even on those days, we have enough sense to know that that's not true. That we need a shepherd. So as we look around this morning, like a, like a duckling searching the farm, who is our mother? Who is our shepherd? Scriptures are fair and answer to us that question. So who is our shepherd? Who is willing and able to care for us? It would take far too long to address every single passage in the New Testament and the Old Testament that would point us to the identity of our, of our shepherd, whom you already know. But I want to take some time and walk through just a few of them this morning. And so if you're taking notes, here's a, a text for you to write down. I'll read it aloud and you can maybe search it out later. But it's Ezekiel chapter 34 and 31. The context here is God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to his people, and he's saying that you've too long, you have been raked over the coals, you've been abused by these so-called shepherds. But they're really actually using you for their own personal gain. Also, you've been going your own way, and, and God is saying to them, I'm coming. I will rescue you. He announces to them through the prophet that I will rescue them, I will rescue you from the wicked men who pretend to be shepherds but are actually wolves. They're self-serving. He states he'll rescue them even from their slavery and from their predators. So this is, it says in Ezekiel 34, 31, And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God, declares Yahweh. This is Ezekiel chapter 34, 31. The most famous, perhaps, not perhaps, the most famous is Psalm 23. And it's a text that, 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 that very explicitly states that we are sheep and that the Lord is our shepherd and that we shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores my soul, the psalmist says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's very clear. It's been revealed to us that God is the shepherd of his people. And so we have need of leadership. We have need of nourishment. We have need of protection. And God says, that is me. I am your shepherd. You are my sheep. Uh, interesting, interesting point here in, in verse number one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I used to always think of that passage and think, uh, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. And you're right. I don't want him because he's a little bit bossy. I don't know maybe if you've ever interpreted that. But in my teens, I really resonated with this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. We shall not want. But it's not saying we wouldn't want God as a shepherd. David's saying the opposite. He's saying that it's everything that I would ever need is supplied in and through my shepherd. So as you think this morning, what is a shepherd? Well, God is our shepherd. And what does he do for us? What has he provided for us? I want to just... Uh, correct some, some false ideas that are associated with God being our shepherd and, and giving us the things that we want. You see, there's really two tendencies or one tendency, that incorrect tendency, that leads us to two uh, untruths. And so one is to think that this is true of every person. And the second misconception or misunderstanding is that this is true of everything. So let's talk about every person. 
simply stated is this, the Lord is not everybody's shepherd. The Lord is not everybody's shepherd. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus said that. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so who can say that the Lord is their shepherd? Those who hear his voice and those who obey it. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I I believe that the Lord is my shepherd, but you do not hear his voice. And if you do, and when you do, you do not obey his voice, then you are not one of his sheep. And I don't say that with anger or frustration or even with pride, but with humility, even as an invitation that you would hear the voice of God, even now this morning, and that you would obey it, that you would hear it, and that when he calls, that you would come. The second error is to think that everything that we would ever want will be supplied. Need, desire, wish, everything will not be supplied. Every desire will not be given to us. That's not what this text is is promising. Again, it's for those who hear his voice and who obey it. And what need is it talking about? Well, I can tell you this. God is not our genie. He is not our Amazon Prime with a connected credit card. That's not what this is. We don't ring a bell and God supply. We don't ring a bell or, cl- or, or even click something and it just come to us. That's not what God supplies to us. As a matter of fact, the physical need is not what he's even referencing here. It's a spiritual need. I want you to know this, parents. The greatest need that your children have is not a physical one. It is a spiritual one. As you consider your neighbors, the greatest need that they have is not a physical one. It is a spiritual one. For those who are in Christ, for those whose shepherd is God, we have this promise that every need will be supplied. Remember, he's speaking of a spiritual need. But you say, Joe Olstein told me that when when I dress nice, when I smell nice, and when I have nice things, that God is pleased with me. And that's a demonstration of that, and that's a lie. It's hogwash. God is not glorified when we are broke, he says. That's blasphemy. That God is not glorified when we're sick. That's a lie. God is pleased when his children suffer in this life without a penny to their name, and they're in physical pain, and in the midst of mental illness, and in depression. But they look to God and they say, in the midst of all this, you are enough. God is glorified in that, and God is pleased in that. God is pleased when sinners repent and turn to him in faith, rescuing, being rescued rather from their spiritual damnation. And they say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So every spiritual need that we have, it will be supplied. And that's not to say that the Lord is not concerned of our physical needs, but it is to say that our shepherd will without a doubt meet our spiritual needs needs so what does God provide for us what's Psalm 23 saying when it says it's uh, that he supplies it well it's not about money it's not about food your greatest need is not physical it is spiritual and to that point the passage that we read toward the beginning of service Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6 I'm going to read just a recap and read a few of those again Verse number four in Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so what need do we have? What, 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 what need will be supplied through our shepherd? Well, we need somebody to bear our griefs. We need somebody to bear our sorrows. And I know that there's many of you who are, maybe you you can't muster the courage to say amen, but you want to say it right there because you resonate with that. You need somebody to bear your griefs. You need somebody to carry your sorrows. We needed somebody to be pierced for our transgressions or we would be. We needed somebody to be crushed for our iniquities, to be chastised and to be wounded for our sins. Remember, there will be a payment for your sin. As you consider your own life and those around you, You say, well, I'm without in so many areas. The most pressing of all is your standing before God now. Because his wrath is upon those who in rebellion have turned and followed their own lusts. It's a sobering thought. We need someone to bear these things for us. This ancient Jewish prophecy, this portion of scripture, it foretells that God would place that iniquity we had incurred, we had created, he would place all of that of his people, of his sheep, that he would place it on somebody else and that he would pay their sin debt. That he would take care of that. That He would eliminate that which we had done that was separating us from God the Father. And Jesus, speaking of his relationship uh, with with his people, says in John chapter 10, if you have uh, your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to this one. Write it down, turn to it. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Jesus, speaking of his relationship with his people, says, I am the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 12, he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. It's tragic. Jesus goes on to say he flees because he's a hired hand and carries nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they uh, they know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up. This charge I have received from my Father. Before his death, Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to his his sheep, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the servant in Isaiah 53 that you rehearse and you know so well, that is me. And I'll take your sin on me. And the Father will bruise me. He will crush me on behalf of you. I'll die for you. Later, John writes in his gospel, he records Jesus' words, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. What's the identity of our shepherd? We need one dearly. Who is it? It's Christ alone. Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd. 
through John 10, John 15, Isaiah 53, Ezekiel 34, we are able to see the identity is Jesus and that his love, his action toward us is immense. It's immense. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, that's something we say all the time. You've, perhaps you've said it to somebody, I'd die for you. Maybe if you're trying to win, the, win that first sweetheart when you're 15 or 16, you, you hear some creepy song, I'd die for you. And so you, you rehearse that. You put it in a letter, I would do anything for you, right? And these emotions, that, even that God gives us well up in us, and we say, I would, I would I'd love you. I, I don't think I really understood. The first time I truly r- believed that I experienced the desire to die for somebody was the first time I held Riley. And I thought, without a doubt, I would die for this. There's no question. I, I might be a coward. I might be a hired hand and run if somebody come after Sarah. One time a spider attacked us, and I did run. But I knew at that moment that I would die for this person. And it's the same. This is what God is saying of us. He's saying, I, will, I would never run. You're mine. You belong to me. I've walked these paths that you will walk long before you will ever touch, your foot will ever touch the path. I love you. And this is what the Father has for us. This is what the Son has for his sheep. Greater love has no man man than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. As we look to the cross, we see that this wasn't empty words as we speak in junior high. Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. He laid his very life down as a shepherd would for his sheep put himself in between the danger and us. This is the shepherd that we've been given. And so as we ask the question, who is our shepherd? Of course, you've known the answer. You've known the the Christian answer. Of course, it's Jesus. But I hope this morning as we looked at this text, as we walked back through this idea of what a shepherd really is and what a sheep really needs, I hope that your love and your adoration for Christ as the shepherd, as the true shepherd, has increased. Ultimately, we, how do we know that the shepherd loves us? Because he lays down his life for us. So Jesus, he leads us by the life that he lived. He leads us. Pastor Tim preached. He leads us. He's the living stone. He gives us direction. He gives us value. He instructs us in the way that we should go. He he leads us in paths of righteousness. By his life, he leads us. By his word and by his spirit, he feeds us. Even this morning, if your ears are open to the very words of God, you will be fed. You will be nourished. Your thirst will be satisfied. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, "I, I, I know little of what you're talking about. I know little of Christ, and I wouldn't be able to say that I've obeyed and heard his voice. Well, this morning I hope that you sense and smell the water as you've been led to it. And I hope that your thirst is satisfied, that your thirst is quenched. And lastly, he protects us. How does he protect us? He protects us by his death. Jesus, our shepherd, he protects us by his death. And what a beautiful thing as we walk through this Advent season. This time of waiting, this time of looking forward. We consider the the shepherd that was foretold that would come. What joy 
amongst the shepherds, amongst the wise men, and even of Mary and Joseph as they saw the incarnate Son of God, the shepherd prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the Old Testament to Isaiah 53 and manifested and fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. The shepherd had come. Remember, as you peer into that manger, that hay that holds the babe, don't just see the incarnate Son of God. See the shepherd that would come and lay down his life for his sheep. So we've answered two questions this morning. The first one we said, what is a shepherd? And I I hope that you have a better, clearer picture. I know that I do. As a result of reading some text and looking at um, Mr. Godfrey's book. Then we asked the question, who is the identity of this shepherd? Well, we know it's Jesus Christ. As we looked at the the, the prophecy and the fulfillment, our hearts are raised and, and we're led to worship this worthy shepherd who would lay down his life. But even this morning, as you look around, you might say, where is our shepherd now? Where is our shepherd? You see, the disciples in in their day, even Peter, Paul, able to point to Thomas, able to touch the shepherd that would lay his life down. Thomas, even after the shepherd had died and and resurrected, they saw, as we did our reading the past few weeks, we read eyewitness accounts of both John and of Peter both saying and testifying that they saw, they, they witnessed, they beheld, they touched, they, they ate with, they beheld. And us this morning, we say, well, where is our shepherd? They saw him, they heard him. Where is his voice? Where does he speak? Where does he lead? Continuing the, the theme of the gate being closed at night where we left off, and that picture that, we, that was painted, the sheep are maybe unsettled, some of them, tempted to exit the the fold in search of another shepherd because they fear that they've been abandoned over the night. The night has seemed longer maybe than usual. The call of the predator is is closer and closer by the hour, and they fear that they've been deserted. But listen, Jesus has not abandoned us. So that night, as the angels declared the incarnation of God, that the shepherd had come, they had been waiting. And even now, we, like they then, wait. And we look. And what do we do? We wait for our shepherd who will return. And this is what Peter said. When the chief shepherd appears, imagine yourself in danger, afraid. It's been a long time. It's been a long night. And we long to hear the voice of the shepherd and the clang of the gate as it opens up and a new day begins and he walks us out. But until then, we have to lean into what he has given to us. So there's an application of this passage, and I want to just quickly look at that. Let's look back at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, specifically, specifically look at verse number 1. We, say where, we ask the question, where is Jesus' leadership? Well, we would say he's here now, but where is he here? Where is his presence? Well, Peter is exhorting the elders. Elders are to be examples to the flock, and they are, they are to lead by example there within the church, Pastor Tim and, and myself. And how, where, where is our example? We are to lead this church by example, but where do we receive our example? In Christ himself. He himself being the chief cornerstone, and we gain our direction from him. We follow in his path. We follow in his uh, footsteps. So where is Jesus' leadership? How is he leading us this this day? He's leading us in the church through the pastors and through the, the, the elders. 
Which, by the way, interchangeable in the New Testament. Pastor simply meaning shepherd. Shepherds and elders within the flock, leading by example. Where do they get their example? From Jesus himself. Where is this teaching? Where is this feeding coming from? This, the presence of Christ even now. Though he is absent, he is with us. And where is he feeding us from? His, his teaching is, is made manifest in the very word of God, which we hold dearly. Look at verse number two. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have. How are, the elder, how are elders to lead within the church? How am I to pastor? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have. And how am I to know what God would have? Is that up to subjection or to whatever I would think that day? Or what Pastor Tim would, would think or feel and, and, and desire that day? No. We lead by example and we lead by the word of God. He's revealed it clearly to us. And how did the elders in the first century, how did they lead the church? As God would have. How did they know? By his word. He's given us his word. His voice booms from the pages of scripture as they are his words. His speech echoes from the mouth of his under shepherds, his pastors and his elders as they rehearse the scriptures in your hearing. Where does this feeding come from? It comes from the word of God. Where is his protection even now? His protection is in, the, and is in the fold of sound doctrine. His protection is in the fold of sound doctrine. And even now, Paul, uh, we, 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 we see the, the demonstration of what Paul was talking about. Some having itching ears, wandering out, going out, wanting something more, afraid that something has changed, something's gone terribly wrong. Jesus is not returning. And Peter is saying in the first century, no, he is. He will, he will appear. The chief shepherd will come back. Stay away from the dangerous things. Elders, stand firm and lead and protect. And so what is the fold? It's a picture of sound doctrine. Again, where do we get this protection from? Where do we get this sound doctrine from? The very word of God. So as we consider these, these questions and this idea, what are you to do with it? What are, we, what are we to do as a result of this text? This idea that the chief shepherd is going to reappear. When, when we hear that, we should be encouraged by it. When we hear that, it should bring us to a place of joy and of hope. And what are we to do? Well, we're to listen to the master's voice. As a good sheep, we're to listen to the master's voice. Where do we hear it again? We hear it in the very words of Scripture. So we're about, we're about to close the year out as a church. We've been a church in existence, a local church, for around... 49 weeks. That's something. That's remarkable. And this first year has been a year marked with, with Scripture reading. As we've st striven together to read the Bible, and this is where we are protected. This is where we are nourished. And this is where we're led. And so quickly, just a, a call to the church this morning. As we enter into 2020, don't let, it, don't let 2019 stand alone as the year that you read the Bible and took it seriously. Would not 2020 be a year of that as you continue to receive the leadership, the protection, and the nourishment from our Good Shepherd as we move in to this new year? But what are we to do with this? Well, we're to listen to the Master's voice and we're to live in hope of His return. We're to live in hope of His return. This is what the sheep would be doing in that fold. The shepherd left them there that night. And the door clangs, and they're in the safety of the sheepfold. They're waiting 
for the return of their shepherd. And I pray that we would be that just this morning. That we would wait for the good shepherd who we know loves us. Who we know will protect us. That we would stay in the fold and live in the hope of his return. Church, Jesus, the chief shepherd, is coming again. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for this truth this morning. That though our needs are great, and each of us different, gone our own way, leading others astray, and yet in the midst of that, you have given us and provided for us a shepherd who is good, who loves us, and who gave himself for us. The shepherd would die in the place of the sheep. It's a mystery. And yet it's a mystery that brings us hope and joy this, this morning as we await the return. So Jesus, as we wait, would we worship you wor- as the one who is worthy? And would we wait with hope? May that be manifest as it, that light shines from our hearts into those around us this Christmas season. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Stand together.